thank you to Joanne um, for reading that passage for us together. But we're starting a new series today. It's going to be a wee mini-series that's going to run over three weeks. It's called, as you can see there, The God Who Goes Before. The God Who Goes Before. It's always important to know where you're going, isn't it? When you, when you walk out the door, it's important that you have a destination in mind. Last week I was listening to my dad and he used the analogy of a sat-nav and how he always falls out with the sat-nav. Anybody ever fallen out with their sat-nav? And the wee cute little voice he used, please turn left, right? And I'm like, no, you don't turn left, you turn right. And if you cut through this street and when you live in East Belfast long enough, you begin to know all the wee shortcuts, don't you? You begin to know all the wee shortcuts and if I go down that street and turn left and turn right immediately then I'll end up there quicker than if I go uh, right and then go all the way around and that sort of thing as well. But it's important whenever we are going anywhere that we have a destination in mind. That we know where we're going. Sometimes we figure out how we're going to get there as we go, don't we? Sometimes we figure out how we're going to get there as we go. And as we continue on the journey, we've just finished the journey together, haven't we? The journey of grace. But we continue on in a journey today. There's always some moments that we look back on that are flag in the ground moments. If I had, have, if I had have prepared uh, myself, I could have had a picture of a famous flag behind me where whenever they went to the moon in 1969 and they put the flag in the ground and they claimed it as their own which is hilarious because it's the moon right but they put a flag in the ground and there are some moments in our lives which are flag in the ground moments aren't there some flag in the ground moments and this three-week mini-series we're going to uh, look at verses which have been important in the life of this church up until now. Today we look at Exodus 33. Then next week we're going to look at verses which are important as we continue on the journey together. And that will be next week. And then on the 7th of November, we're going to look at the vision which God has given us as a church as we take these next steps on the journey together and some of the church board, the church leadership are going to be helping with that as well, which is very exciting. And we're going to take time and we're going to share the vision which God has given to us as a church for over these next three years together. So today we're looking back at what has been important, one of those flag in the ground moments that took place in the recent history of the church. Next week, we're going to look at some verses that are important as we continue on the journey. And then the week after, we're going to cast vision together. And we're going to get excited about it, aren't we? Aren't we? Yeah. Good. Does that sound like a plan? Sound like something you can buy into? Fantastic. Well, as we look today... Um, at these verses from Exodus 33, it's very important that in order to understand the significance of these verses, we need to do two things. We need to do two things. First one is we need to go back a few years in the history of this church. And then secondly, we need to understand 
the significance of these verses in the story of the people of Israel. Okay, so we're going to go back a couple. I'm going to go back a few years in the history of this church, and then we're going to spend some time looking at the context and why it was significant in the lives of the people of Israel. So, for this church, whether you have been a part of this church for a long time or whether this is your first Sunday in this church, I want to take you back and I want you to come with me to the 17th of March, 2018. Okay, 17th of March, 2018. What's significant about the 17th of March? It's St. Patrick's Day, right? But it was a church cleaning day here, right? It was a church cleaning day. It was a Saturday. Um, and uh, the cleaning team came together and it quickly transpired that unfortunately it was one of those days where the only people who could make it were members of the church leadership at that time. So they began to clean a little bit and then they just felt a bit of a pull and they felt a bit of an urge to pray to pray together. At that stage the church was going through a wee bit of a turbulent time Pastor David Evans was unwell at the time and had just announced his retirement that June, that June, which would follow. And it was a bit of a crossroads moment for the church. So whenever it was only the leadership who showed up to clean, they made a decision that they would pray and that they would seek the heart of God. And they had some very real conversations in that room, some very honest conversations in that room the church was at a crossroads in essence has anybody heard that song will i stay or will i go now you're glad i didn't sing it to you right will i stay or will i go now those were the sort of conversations that they were having is god finished with the church here or will we keep going is god in this or is he telling us it's time to go and bless other worshipping communities by joining them? Very honest, very difficult conversations took place through in the wee prayer boardroom in there. And then one individual spoke up. And they felt led to those verses which Joanne read from for us from Exodus chapter 33 in particular the verse where Moses declares if your presence does not go with us do not take us up from this place that's the context for this local church and they got assurance that day that God was still with them they got assurance that day that God was still in it they got assurance that day that they were to continue and that they were to press on they got assurance that the presence of God remained with them. Don't want to put people on the spot, but if you're in that room, put your hand up. If you're in that room, please put your hand up. Right? And there were many others in the room as well. Thank you. And I think it's important to honour that. That they had these difficult conversations. That they had prayed these difficult prayers. And that God worked amongst them. That's why it's important. These verses are important in the life of our church, whether we recognize it or not. But why is it important for the people of Israel? 
But we need to go back a few chapters in the book of Exodus. The people of Israel were slaves in Egypt. They'd fallen into slavery in Egypt. And Moses' mother, Moses who is having these conversations with God in Exodus 33, way back at the start of the book of Exodus, we're told that Moses' mother, on fear that he would be killed by Pharaoh, hid her son among the bulrushes in the local river. Hid her son in the bulrushes. And her son Moses was found by the, by the daughter of Pharaoh. And she took him as his own and brought him up in the palace. So he was this Jew living in the palace of the oppressor. And despite his privilege, it's important that we recognize that he was still a Jew. And when he saw that his people were being oppressed, as he grew up, as he began to learn more of his heritage, because it's amazing how it all works out, because his, his mother and sister ended up being his babysitters. As he learned more about his heritage, as he learned more about where he actually came from, he began to recognize that his people were being oppressed. And one time somebody took it too far. And it was the straw which snapped the camel's back, as the saying goes. And Moses ends up taking the law into his own hands and putting to death that man who was causing the oppression in that particular sense. He was heavy-handed with the man who was heavy-handed, which actually led to the death of this Egyptian. And this led Moses to flee. He ran away. How many of us often run away whenever things get hard and things get tough and when we make mistakes? They say that we have a fight or flight. We either stay and we fight a situation or we run away from it. He ran away from this and he ended up becoming a shepherd in the land of Midian, which is in southwest, uh, modern day southwest Syria. And he was there for 40 years. Started a new life, married his boss's daughter, had some children. Things were great, things were fine, things were dandy. But then he has an encounter with God. There's this bush that's on fire, but it doesn't seem to actually be burning. It doesn't seem to be disintegrating under the flames. And Moses steps towards it and has an encounter with God as the bush begins to speak back to him. I want to tell you, if bushes start speaking to you, go and see your doctor, <laughs> right? But in this instance, God speaks to Moses through the bush. And he has an encounter with God and God tells him that he is to go and to set the people of Israel, God's chosen people, free from their slavery in Egypt. So Moses comes up with all these excuses one of them being that he stuttered and he wasn't a good public speaker, but he returns to Egypt, stutter and all, goes before Pharaoh and tells him that he needs to set the people free. You know the story, and but if you don't know the story, Pharaoh refuses time and time and time again to let the people go until he finally relents under the pressure and the heartache of the 10 plagues of Egypt, the last of which 
was the death of the firstborn. The people are freed. Get them out here. The people are freed. They begin to move towards the promised land, which had been promised them by God. And God performs many miracles in their midst, not least parting the Red Sea in front of them when there was no way across whenever the Egyptians and Pharaoh changed their mind and the Egyptians came chasing after them and they were faced with this big body of water, God makes a way. He makes a gap in the Red Sea and the people of Israel, probably about a million of them, walk through on dry land, untouched. God works incredible miracles in midst of the people. And he goes before them as a pillar of cloud by day and by fire by night. And this is an epic story. We teach our kids it in Sunday school. We teach our kids it in the connections. We teach children it in schools as well. It's an epic, epic story. But it's an epic story until they reach the region of Sinai. See, at Sinai, God goes up a mountain, Mount Sinai, to talk with God. It wasn't suspected that this would take too long, but it ends up taking 40 days. He's up the mountainside for 40 days. For over a month, the people of Israel are on the bottom of the mountain, and Moses is up the top, having conversations with God. During these conversations, he's given the Ten Commandments, during these conversations, God gives him a lot of other laws and a lot of blueprints for stuff, including the tabernacle as well. But whenever Moses comes back down the mountain, bear in mind again, 40 days later, 40 days later, the people led by his brother Aaron have fallen into sin and they've made themselves a golden calf, a false god, whom they worshipped with the gold that they had plundered as they had left <coughs> Egypt. As a result, Moses is furious. Moses has got these Ten Commandments on two stones and he throws them on the ground. You ever been so frustrated you just want to throw something? Right? Hopefully not at me. Right? But he's so frustrated that he takes these tablets which God himself had written on, and he throws them on the ground and he smashes them. The Bible doesn't tell us, but I can imagine he went straight for his brother and went, what are you doing? I left you in charge. What are you doing? And the best that Aaron could come up with, the Bible tells us is, well, I don't really know how it happened. Moses is furious. And God is angry in these moments. But even more than that, God's heart is broken. God's heart is broken. The whole thing is a huge, huge mess. And I know that's a lot of background, but it's important to step the scene because this is the reality into which we step this morning as we navigate these verses. So I want to ask you, have you ever trusted somebody's word implicitly? 
That so much so to the point that if they told you the grass was blue rather than green, you'd probably go, yeah, that's right. You ever just trusted somebody implicitly? Like no matter how bad things get, no matter what has happened, you know that if this one individual has said that they're going to do something, that they're actually going to do it. You ever met somebody like that? Right? No matter the circumstances, no matter the situation, you can bet your bottom dollar that that individual or those individuals are going to come through for you. A word that would describe a person like this is that they have integrity. Integrity. A person of integrity is someone on whom you can rely, someone who is true to their word and someone who is true to their convictions regardless of how it will turn out. True to their convictions despite all of the noise that's around about. You ever met somebody like that? So let's bear that in mind. Let's bear those thoughts of integrity in mind as we read these words together. These are not words that Joanne read, but they're actually verses from earlier on in the chapter. So if you do want to follow along, pick up at verse 1 of chapter 33. It says this. The Lord said to Moses, Go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Parasites, the Hevites and the Jebusites. That's why I didn't get Joanne to read that one. She didn't hit me. Loads of, loads of bites there. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Herod onward. Now their ornaments were their, were their bling, right? It was their bling, it was their jewellery, it was the, the, the fashion accessories, like, like the lovely wee necklace that Rosemary has on right now. It was those sort of things. Those were the ornaments that they're talking about here. Now, despite everything that's happened, I wonder if you noticed that there were a couple of really important things in there. In fact, there was more than a couple, but we're only going to look at a couple of important things. First one is this, that despite the blatant disobedience of the people of Israel, God was still willing to keep his word. Despite the disobedience, God was still willing to keep his word. He promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that the people of Israel, his chosen people, would inherit the land that was flowing with milk and honey. It became known as the promised land of God. God still, despite the disobedience, promised that he would keep his word. The scriptures tell us that all of God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. 
And that means that no matter the circumstance, no matter the difficulty, no matter the external factors, God is a God of his word. God is a God of his word. He's never failed to keep his word. He's still in the business of keeping his word. And he's not going to start with you when it comes to not keeping his word. God still keeps his word, no matter what. But the second thing is this, that whilst God would keep his promise, he would do so, but he would withdraw his presence from the people. In other words, he was unwilling to go with them. He calls them a stiff-necked people. They haven't been called stiff-necked. Now, anybody ever said that you have a brass neck about you? Right? That's the sort of idea. <coughs> Here. And actually it paints a picture of a farmer who, uh, whenever he was tending to the ox or the donkey, the, the ox or the donkey would resist by causing their neck to go stiff so that they could not be moved. It was this, this idea and this picture of continual disobedience. He calls them a stiff-necked people. God refused to be around a sinful unrepentant people because he knew that his power and his holiness would consume them as they journeyed together. So, still caring for the people, God makes alternative arrangements. And he says he'll send an angel with them instead. This teaches us a number of things. And one of those things is this. And it is important that we recognise that there are consequences for our disobedience. There are consequences for our sin. There are consequences whenever we choose our own desires, our own wants, over the things of God. But those consequences will never display themselves as a broken promise from God. They will never display themselves as God breaking his promises, but they will often result in the retreat of his intimate presence with us. The people mourn. Whenever they hear that God's not going with them, they mourn. They take off all their bling. They take off all their jewelry. They go down to the bare bones. This was a sign of mourning in those days. It wasn't that they were wailing. It wasn't that they were crying. It was rather the, oh my goodness, everything is meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Because when the reality that his presence would not go with them, as they inherited the promise of his blessing, the thought of doing so without the blesser, without the one who gives the blessing, being alongside them and communing <coughs> with them, cause them to realise that without him, everything else is meaningless. In other words, they didn't want the blessing of God without the blesser who is God. And very often we can fall into a trap that we want all the blessings that God has to give us the scripture tells us that his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. We want the new blessings, the new mercies every morning. And very often we can be guilty of wanting them without the intimate presence of God. And the people are faced with a reality that they can have everything they've ever wanted, 
everything that has ever been promised to them. But it comes at a cost. And that cost is that the blesser would not go with them. I love what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones has to say about this. He says, to be given every other blessing is of no value if God is not with you. What is the value of Canaan? Canaan being the promised land. What is the value of Canaan? What is the value of milk and honey? What is the value of having possessions if God was not with them? They saw that the realisation of the presence of God, having this fellowship and company, was infinitely more important than anything else. And as we journey together as the people of God in this season, we need to be asking ourselves the question, both personally and corporately, as individuals and as a church, what's more important to us? What's more important to me? The blessing or the blesser? The blessing or the blesser? What's more important to me? What's more important to us? What God can give us? Or God's presence with us? I love the simplicity of this next quote by a guy called G. Campbell Morgan. <coughs> I love the simplicity with which he approaches the scriptures and he says it so much better than I can. And he's speaking of the angel that God's gonna send instead of, instead of his own presence here. He says that it's clear that the people felt the promise of an angel to be sent before them was the, was the lowering of a privilege. Why settle for an angel when you can have the presence of God? Why settle for a blessing when you can have the blesser? The angel was a downgrade. And I want to tell you this morning, and I need to tell myself this morning, the blessing of God without God's presence is a downgrade. Anything without the presence of God is second best. It might be incredibly good, but it's second best. And don't settle for your best when God wants to give you the best himself. We need to recognise that the blessings which God offers to us do not compare to the presence which he offers to us. And maybe it's time that we need to realign our priorities to reflect the reality, not only in the life of the church, but in our own individual lives as well. Always, always choose the blesser over <coughs> the blessing. Then, we don't have time to read it, but in verses seven through to 11, Moses makes his tent a place of prayer. Some translations say that he makes it the tabernacle of meeting. Very often you'll, you'll hear me and other preachers pray that the Lord would tabernacle with us. And what is meant by that is this, that God would meet us where we are, that his presence would fall in this place. And Moses sets aside his own tent 
to be the place where the presence of God would dwell. And people went in and out to pray. People went in and out to pray. It was slightly outside the camp where the people were because whenever you have to go a little bit farther, it shows who's serious and who's not. People had to go out of their way to seek the presence of God in this instance. And people went. And it tells in verse 11 of a young man by the name of Joshua, who's going to become very important in the story of the people of Israel later down the line. But Joshua, who was the son of Nun, he refused to leave the tent. He refused to leave the presence of God. I want to tell you this, or ask you this rather. Have you ever had a conversation that you just did not want to come to an end? Right? Have you ever had one of them conversations? Maybe you've been up all night and you're just having a wee, a wee chinwag and a wee chat and it's doing your heart good and it's doing the other person's heart good and you're just having a great time and then the, the minutes turn into hours and it almost feels like the hours are turning into days if you're not careful. You just don't want to be away from that. I know a lot of, uh, a lot of our older members phone each other quite regularly and very often those seconds turn into minutes and those minutes turn into half hours and those half hours turn into hours. Those are the sort of conversations that I'm talking about here where it's good, it's wholesome and it does your heart good. You ever had a conversation like that? Love, love conversations like that. And these are often conversations which bond a friendship. Conversations which bond a friendship and you look back on in years to come and you go, wow, wasn't that great? Can't remember exactly what we were talking about, but that was a good night. You know? Moses, when he's in the tent, Moses, when he was up on the mountain, he's having an experience like that. Not with his mate, but with Creator God. Right? Tremendous. Unreal. And Moses, he pleads with God, not only on behalf of the people, but on behalf of himself. He knows what it is to have intimacy with God. And he's pleading with God, don't take that away. Don't take that away. He's just spent 40 days on the mountain in deep and intimate conversation with God. And, when, and we're told that God met him face to face as a friend meets another friend. Now it's important here, clarification, the Bible says that nobody can look upon the face of God and live. So it's important that we understand that whenever it's talking about Moses and God meeting face to face, Numbers 12 clears this up for us. Numbers 12 clears it up and we're told that God spoke plainly and clearly to Moses. So it was a plain and clear talk whereas we're told that whenever he spoke to prophets it was in dreams and it was in visions but rather it's a plain it's an honest and it's a clear conversation and that's what's meant by face to face here Moses has an intimate meaningful deep conversation with God for 40 days on a mountaintop and a friendship has been formed Moses has experienced what it's like to not only know of his creator but to actually know his creator because there's a difference. Plenty of people know of God, right? Plenty of people know of God, but how many of us know God? Moses knew God intimately, and that was not something he was willing to give up about a fight. I love that. 
And there's also another prompt here. Moses wants the Israelites to also experience that same intimacy with God. He wants them to experience it. And in verses 14 to 16, and I know time's getting on, so I'm going to hurry up, right? But it's good stuff, promise, right? 14 to 16. Moses says, and he said, and he being God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he being Moses said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favour in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Moses' relentlessness and his passion for God causes God to change us. To not necessarily change his mind, but rather to return to what had originally been planned. God literally promises, whenever he promises that his presence will go with us, God literally promises, my face will go with you. In other words, that intimacy and immediate presence of God would go with Moses and would go with the people. This presence, which means rest, this presence, which means peace in life, would be an important and necessary gift from God to Moses and the people. And God promises that the presence, his presence will go with him. And then Moses just keeps going. He says, it's almost as if he says, that's all well and good, but if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. God promises that his presence will go, and yet Moses still goes back and says, but, but if you don't, if you don't, we're not going. In other words, we're not going if you're not going. We're not going if you're not going. You ever got a group text message or a, an email chain or had conversations and people have invited you to stuff and you want to find out who's going first before you commit yourself, right? This is what Moses is doing here. He's saying, I'm not going if you're not going. We're not going if you're not going. And we've got to ask ourselves the same hard questions here. Do we have the same desire for the presence of God? If he promised us everything that we ever dreamed of or longed for, but at the expense of his presence, would we still go? Or would we, with Moses, say, if your presence does not go with us, we're not going. There is nothing that can compare with experiencing the presence of God. I'm looking at the time and I know everything that, that's coming afterwards and I'm just shutting it off. I'm going to speak to you from the heart here. Right? I am really excited about all that God plans to do in this place. As a, as, a, as a church, we've journeyed together over the past three years. And I can say with assurance that these have been the best three years of my life. Not just because I've got married, not just because we've had our kids. 
but it's been the best year of my life because God's presence is here. God's presence is here. God is at work amongst his people and God has plans to prosper beyond our wildest dreams. As we sat as a leadership team and we'll, we'll share this vision with you in a few weeks, I just, my heart leapt within me. I got so excited because in human terms, as we look at this piece of paper that we put together under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, as we look at the goals that have been set, as we look at the promises which have been made, in earthly terms, they make no sense. In earthly terms, they're far too big. In earthly terms, they're unachievable. But God says and he whispers afresh to us as he did on the 17th of March 2018, long before I was even here. My presence will go with you. My presence will go with you. And I want to invite you on a journey with us this morning. It's not a journey with the pastor. It's not a journey with the church board. It's not a journey with some of the key helpers and leaders. Rather, I believe with heart and soul that it is a journey with the presence of God. And he puts his arm around and he says, come on. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. You've heard me say before many times, and you'll hear me say until the day that I die, that the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. We look back on all that God has done over the past 70 years in the life of this church, and we look back to the glory days, as some people would call them. And I want to tell you that the glory days do not compare to where God wants to take us. The best days of this church, the best days of this people, they're ahead, not behind. They're ahead, not behind. And God invites you today. And he says, if you let me, I'll lead you. If you, if you let me, my presence will go with you. If you give up on your ambitions, your hopes and your plans and you dive into what I've got for you, I'll not only blow your mind, but I'll give you so much more than you could ever ask, think or imagine. God is calling us to be the people that he has called us to be. And he's calling us afresh back to that calling today. But he's calling us to be the people he's called us to be so that we can be the church that this community needs us to be. He doesn't call us to it so we can be a holy huddle, but he calls us to it so that we can be agents of transformation in East Belfast for the sake of the kingdom of God and for the glory of God. So today he says, you can either have the blessing or you can have the blesser. I wanna tell you a wee secret. See, if you choose the blesser, it'll be an even greater blessing than you could ever imagine. Unless he goes with us, we don't want to go. So Lord, take us as we are. Lead us. Have your way. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Let's stand together and sing the song of worship in closing all the way, my Savior.